This episode is proudly sponsored by The Helix, a new innovation district located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the heart of the Northeast Corridor. The Helix provides a critical ecosystem for innovation by offering a range of physical environments, a vibrant community of leading innovators, and a strategic central location on the Northeast Corridor. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others will all call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations, such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is where ideas will come to life. To learn more, visit helixnj.com. From nj.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights, with your hosts, Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders Brian Fonseca and Pat Lenny. Let's start shopping. All right, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Rutgers Rant. Our Pinstripe Bowl championship episode, a 31-24 victory over Miami at Yankee Stadium. Uh, just a happy Rutgers moment, happy Rutgers night. I mean, uh, Robert Longerbeam will never have to buy a drink again at football alumni parties. The first win over the U, the upside down, reverse U, national attention, uh, some swagger. You know, cigars, t-shirts, smiles. I mean, we talk a lot about that these ball games don't matter, but... That, that's not the case here. This mattered a lot for these Rutgers players. I think it was very important for the program, um, not just to get off the schneid against Miami, but, you know, for some really good momentum heading into next year, uh, to, to have a winning season for the first time in a decade. All of this stuff is important, fellas. And when you saw the way these guys celebrated this afterward, I think that really drove the point home to me. Yeah, as the guy who took the bowl games don't matter take, I... Take it back because immediately from the jump, you have guys jawing at each other, coaches and players from both sides, 90 minutes before the game and warmups at midfield. You got chippiness on the field between late hits and penalties and guys seriously taking this game like it's a you know conference game in October. You got the post-game celebrations, the cigars you said, the, the, the locker room, everyone's jumping around. Longer Beam was the one that got caught doing the upside down you on TV, but in the locker room and all the Instagram lives, Every player is doing the upside down you, breaking it over their knees, celebrating. <laughs> and yeah, the cynical person like me could say, this is a down Miami team. This is not the Miami of the early 2000s that destroyed Rutgers. The, uh, Greg Schiano points out, uh, you'll remember this, Steve, the 61 nothing loss in his second game as Rutgers coach. A l- little shot at you for no reason, but that's okay. <laughs> We're not the only ones calling you a boomer, apparently. But, <laughs> but yeah, like you could say all that. But the fact is, yes, Rutgers finally beat Miami. It means a lot to them. It clearly bothers all the Miami fans on Twitter fighting back against this. They were pretty upset about the longer beam thing. And one last thing really quickly on longer beam. He played it down when I asked him about it in the post game. He seemed almost a little embarrassed that I brought it up. Uh, and he said, it's just the heat of the moment thing. His mom on Twitter uh, brings up the fact he grew up a Miami fan. It was a dream school for him to go to Miami. He was born and raised in South Florida before he moved to Virginia for high school. This meant a lot to him. And that was not a heat of the moment. That was something he probably thought about for a bit. And it probably felt really, really good for him. And obviously it felt really good for the rest of the program and for Greg Schiano to, uh, to win the game. 
I mean, it was great, right, Pat? It was like, you know, and then the, the fact that they, that ESPN couldn't get, they just couldn't get enough of showing people this. It wasn't really much of a kerfuffle there before the game. It was like, hey, look, look, America, these two teams are ready to play this game that you might watch in the middle of your Thursday, taking down your Christmas tree time before New Year's. I mean, it was really, they were, they were playing it up and that's good. That's the way that you want some juice here. Absolutely. There was so much juice in this game. And even the game itself was exciting, which a lot of these bowl games end up being blowouts or whatever. Like Miami recovers that onside kick and and you're like, oh, my God, could Rutgers yeah. blow this game? I was uh, convinced they were going to blow it. You can say it. <laughs> I, I didn't want to put you on the spot. No, go ahead. I was like, forget it. This is it. They're losing this game. I was like, I just yeah. finished writing. I was like, I was I was I was yeah. salty at that point. Your fifteen hundred words were right down. We're go- going right down the <laughs> toilet. So you were con- you were convinced you had to put put that out into the atmosphere and to create an aurora for for it not to happen. So that's that's terrific. Um, but yeah, I think it was about as good of a bowl experience as you could possibly have gotten for Rutgers. The players loved it. The win was huge from a momentum standpoint, and I think uh, you got to really see how important i mean we felt it after the indiana win when Rutgers got its sixth win how much it meant to be bowl eligible but until you really saw the celebration the way that all these guys played their hearts out like it it really meant a lot and i think that's going to stand out for a lot of Rutgers fans kyle manungai the obvious pinch straight bowl mvp I'm, I'm not sure what else we can say about this guy 163 yards 25 carries you know this didn't strike me as the game where this was a product of his blocking i thought he just had a lot of really elite college running running plays i mean i thought he was just you know he was just really really good i think this season will be remembered from us going from the beginning thinking that you know he was an interchangeable cog uh in this program to uh, at the end of the game thinking he is you know one of the best running backs in the country and it's just an enormous boost to this program the fact he's coming back next year to your point i just looked up the numbers on pro football focus he forced 14 missed tackles yesterday and that certainly wow. passes the eye test because it seemed like every time a Miami guy had their hands on him, he just broke through and gained an extra five yards, whatever it was. And obviously, whenever the line did open up some space for him, he was exploding through the hole, probably should have scored that touchdown on that 40-yard run, came up one yard short. And I feel bad because the right thing to do was the tush-push to give Gavin Wimsett the two touchdowns. But Kyle Manungai did so much work for both of them that you almost feel bad that he didn't get credit for the touchdown but um he, he showed yesterday why it's so important for him to come back because he raises the floor of that offense so much and exactly we talked about this ad nauseum during the season but he was always a guy you thought could be a good piece in the running back room and now he's the focal point of this offense right. he's made Kirk Sherrock's first year a rousing success, I would say. And it's the reason Rutgers has seven wins. It's why Rutgers won a bowl game. It's why Rutgers scored 31 points. Well, 24, I guess, if you don't count for the, the pump lock. But the point being, Kyle Manungai is a huge piece of this team. Maybe the most important player of the 10 seniors that are coming back is him, just because of what he does for the offense. Yeah, I think I think he adds a little a little star power. I know there was a fun question for him about the sexiness of being a New Jersey homeborn player, playing for Rutgers, home state, all that. I do think there's something to that. And I think there's I can't remember the last time, maybe Leonte Carew, where Rutgers had like a guy. Like he is a guy at Rutgers. Everyone thinks of Rutgers, they think of Kyle Manungai. And I think that's important. Yeah, that was that was quite a question. Yeah, but it was to sit next to you guys, and it was some. I, what was it again? Pat? It was like Tom Vito who started for the Giants, and and it was just went everywhere. Like every New Jersey person in the world, and and you're a New Jersey guy, Kyle, coming back. It's is New Jersey sexy? It was like it was very like a very strange 
Yes. And believe me, no one, no one beats the New Jersey drum more than I do. But man, that was that was odd. Right. I wrote in our uh, behind the scenes moments uh, about that question and the sexiness. Uh, th- we're not making that word up. That was the actual question that a reporter asked Kyle Manungai, and he played it perfectly. He said, <laughs> yeah, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, it's there's sexiness. Yeah. But and he's he, like, I'll, I'll roll with that. Sure. I'll, I'll roll. With that, <laughs> but he did also go on to say, I love being a Jersey guy. I love representing our, our my home state and ultimately that whole press conference became this jersey love fest where yeah. all the players were talking about like another reporter asked Muhammad Ture to give his pitch to a, a New Jersey recruit and he just went on to say like I, I wanted to be the guy that changed things here at Rutgers and you know we want to keep everybody home and it, it just went on. there's one New Jersey thing after another and it really stood out to me for sure Brian what, mentioned the punk block the most the, uh, asking the Tommy DeVito question. He missed that. They went to the same high school. Him and Manu, they both that would have been a good time. Yeah, absolutely. It would have been a good, good connection. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the punk block to me. If you were to like to try to explain, you know, give me a glimpse of what Rutgers football is to, to people who don't understand it. You know, this, this is a pretty cool moment. You've got a former equipment manager who beat cancer and a an Ivy League lacrosse player who walked onto the team because Greg Shano coached his dad. You've got these two guys combining on a punt block, which is the one signature thing that Greg Shano's teams have done well the entire time he's been here. Completely changed the game. Pat, you wrote about these two players. Give people if people if you don't know if you do not know the story of these two players, uh, tell tell them about. Them. Yeah, it's a really remarkable story. Like we, I, I wrote that there. It was an improbable story for both of these guys to get on the field, but yet it's so like likely at the same time because it's almost like a Rutgers story that these two unheralded players, like you said, Timmy Ward was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma his junior year of high school, ended up beating that. He's been cancer-free for four years, and he, instead of taking an opportunity to play at East Stroudsburg came to Rutgers and took an opportunity to be an equipment manager for the team. Uh, so he went from equipment manager, then went to a, 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 a walk-on tryout and press there. And then eventually earned his spot as a walk-on. Like you said about Trevor Yeboah Cody, he was a lacrosse player at Brown for four years, a really good one. And as Greg Shiano said in his post-game press conference, like if you look at Yeboah Cody's tape, he was a really good high school player and he just wished that he had four years with him as opposed to the one that he got just an improbable story that these two guys made the play of the game. But yet at the same time, it feels very Rutgers ish that these two unsung guys gave everything to be a part of a, a program and Shiano gave him a chance when probably no one else would very Rutgers. To me. Uh, really quick on this, a couple things you felt it coming. I saw it. Yeah. Miami's backed up. They get a stop. I put my, I took my phone out and I filmed it because you just felt that was possible. It was just a very Rutgers thing to turn a game on a dime. Miami had taken all the momentum in the game. And I know people don't believe in momentum. I'm not entirely a believer, but Greg Schiano sure is. And it certainly felt like that sucked all the air out of Miami and put all the juice back to Rutgers. Uh, they take the lead back with that score and they kind of cruise from there. Uh, and it just felt like they, they, sn- they smelt the blood in the water. They took it. And obviously that was the point of the game where everything turned. And Greg Schiano's answer, this is a completely off path, but he mentions Trevor Yabota, Cody's dad, played 
at Penn State where Greg Schiano coached them, but he wouldn't call them Penn State. He would call them that other team in the Big Ten from Pennsylvania or something to that effect. So I thought that was kind of cool. I don't know if Greg's ever referred to them as that. So that was that was fun. And uh, and yeah, and this kind of it's not the same tradition of the walk-ons at Rutgers of the Sean O'Hara's and the Gary Brackets that are going to end up at you know the NFL level and make an impact there. But it's just another example of Greg Schiano values these things in college football that a lot of people take for granted: the walk-ons, special teams plays, and once again they turn around and they make a humongous difference for them and they essentially win them a game. So um, as as much as we bag on them for you know, playing a bit conservatively at times at offense and not focusing on being this high polluting, high powered offensive team. They do the basic things right. They play great defense. They focus on special teams. They develop their walk-ons. They develop their players. And in moments like this, it all kind of the fruits of that labor come to bear. All right, let's talk about that offense a little bit. Uh, early on, it looked like the passing game was going to be pretty good. You know, I thought that Gavin Wimsett looked sharp in the first uh, you know quarter of that game. Connected on like five of his first seven passes. Uh, had the nice throw early on to set up the touchdown. That well, it was more of a, it was more of a nice run uh, at the end there, carrying um, uh, Christian Dremel carrying half the Miami team for an extra five yards. It looked like this might be okay. Maybe this is the game. Maybe this is the game we've been waiting for. That Gavin Wimsett comes out and says, "Hey, look, man, I'm still the quarterback of this team." Um, didn't happen. <laughs> I just didn't. Nothing. The rest of the way, really, 84 yards passing. Seven out of 13 uh, games this year with less than 150 yards and no games over 200 yards passing. So we're still in the same place with the passing game. Brian, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this ad nauseum. Were you disappointed in what you saw from the passing game? Or is this, once again, just what you expected to see? Yeah, this is what I expected to see. And Greg Schiano kind of in the postgame said that, that Rutgers was the plan was to kind of not make mistakes. And to Gavin's credit, he did not throw an interception, although he came close. Um, came so close. He, he came close. They, he accomplished his job, right? They, I don't think Rutgers asked him to go above and beyond, but the issue is that they don't expect him to, and they almost don't seem like they trust him to. They're facing third and nines and handing the ball off to Kyle Manungai. They're facing third and 14s and handing the ball off to Kyle Manungai. They don't trust their quarterback to a make long completions on key downs and to throw the ball without, potentially turning it over and committing a catastrophic mistake. And that's, you just can't have that at the quarterback position and beat good teams. Rutgers has beaten teams at their level this season. They beat Virginia tech. They beat Northwestern. They beat Miami seven and five teams, right? They have not come close as much as we like to harp on the fact they were up in the second half against Ohio state. And they kept it close against Michigan and Iowa uh, all, all true, all fair. They were never anywhere close to winning those games because they don't have enough at the quarterback position. Gavin Wimsett is going to stay at Rutgers. He told me that on Sunday. His plan is to stay at Rutgers, and it sounds like the plan for Rutgers is to bring in a transfer portal quarterback, and when they do, he says that hypothetically, if they do, he is going to stick around and compete for the job. He's a Rutgers guy. Good for him. I think Rutgers fans like to hear that, and it's good for Rutgers because if he does stay next season, no matter what, they will have a competent backup quarterback which I don't think they could have said that last year. But it's very clear that unless he takes a step forward, a pretty big step forward in his accuracy, in his decision-making, in his level of play, I'm not sure he's going to be able to win a quarterback battle. And I just think Rutgers needs, as much as Greg Schiano deflected when you asked him this question, Steve, I think it's obvious that Rutgers needs more out of the quarterback position, a lot more. And I'm not sure... Gavin Wimsett showed us in this year that he's anywhere close to providing that barring a massive leap. 
Pat, it's funny. I was thinking about this. The first big win in Greg Shano 2.0 probably was that um, game against Boston College where they ran the ball down that one last touchdown drive up and, and they, they didn't have to pass it. They won without running it. This is now we're two years later. You were looking at it now. We've got this situation where you're like, okay, well, it's the same thing. 16 straight runs to end this game. I mean, it just, it's, you know, we just haven't, we haven't progressed, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, that's true. I think uh, the game planning has just been so very uh, obvious that they're going to stick to the run and give the ball to their best player. But you can't, like, I want to give Brian a lot of credit because I thought what he just said was really good. Uh, You can't take that next step until you have an offense that operates at a high level. Right now, it's just, it's streamlined to a very basic, I don't want to say 1950s offense. That's kind of what it is, right? Like, it's very much, uh, we're going to win with running the ball, defense, and special teams, complimentary football, as Greg Shannon always says. But uh, that next step is certainly missing. It's it's definitely lacking. I, I totally agree with Brian there. So I think it's good in a way that Rutgers plays to its strength, but it's also a hindrance in a big way too. All right, let's do true-false. Got a lot of good topics here to talk about in our final true-false segment of the football season. How sad. All right, ready? True-false. The most surprising part of the pinstripe bowl, all those dumb penalties. Man, what happened there? Some some smart players taking dumb penalties. Refereeing wasn't great, to be fair. Pat, were you, is that the most surprising thing you saw? I think it was. Yeah, I'm going to say true. Like it, it was pretty astonishing, and it just played to the chippiness of the game, which Brian did a good job uh, highlighting. Brian? I'll say false. It was surprising. I was surprised at how good Miami's third string quarterback looked and Mm. not to do this, but he looked better against a good Rutgers defense than perhaps Gavin Wimsett has looked against any defense in his career. Yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah. I'm going to say false. I was very surprised that Rutgers gave a points that they did, although they probably wouldn't have, if not for the personal fouls that kept them moving Miami down the field. All right. True or false ditch the tush push Rutgers ain't the Eagles. Pat, how do we feel about the tush push here in Piscataway? I love the creativity off of the tush push. Uh, that it seems to be a highlight when it works. Uh, I think when you have an athletic quarterback, it's a good play. Rutgers has been decently successful with it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's a good play call. I'm fine All with right. it. False, Brian. Well, okay, so it worked both times, right? I can't. deny the fact it worked, but it took them five tries to score two touchdowns at the goal line with it. It took them three tries the first time and two tries the second time. It worked. It's fine. I'll say false. Yeah, I'm going to say I want to say false as well. You got to keep it. I'm amazed at the number of the, like the creativity coming out of the tush push for the for Rutgers. If only that the creativity coming out of the rest of the playbook at times tush push, though, man, we've got some good plays in that. All right. True or false. Ethan Kaliak Manis will commit to the program next week. Pat, we gonna get an announcement here soon. I think true. Yeah, I, I could see that. And uh Shiano was very public and uh deliberate with how he was talking about the transfer portal after the game. And I thought that was very uh very odd for him, a guy that play keeps that close to the vest. And he was very uh out front about saying noting that. You know, we got a lot of guys to host and things are about to get busy. So I'm going to say true. I think I have a, I have a feeling that it's going to happen. Brian? Yeah, to Pat's point, they mentioned they're going to start hosting kids next weekend, which is the first weekend 
they can, when the dead period ends, uh, they're supposed to have a defensive tackle from New Mexico. That's a position they're targeting very heavily and apparently a position that's pretty costly in NIL. Anyway, to wrap around to your question, if anything, Calic Maddish is going to commit to Rutgers, which I think we all expect at this point, it would happen within the next week. True. If he doesn't commit within the next week, I would think that that ship has sailed, which again would surprise me. But I think that no matter what, it's very clear that now that Rutgers has crossed that bridge, they will bring in a transfer quarterback, whether it is or not, Cali McManus. At, the, at this point, it better be him, but it'll be very interesting to see if it's not him. I mean, I don't, there's a lot of options out there, but uh, as you mentioned, a lot of them are pricey. So, um, yeah, that's going to be fascinating. Uh, I will say true. We're going to hear that news very soon. The portal defections are coming in a few weeks. Uh, Pat, are we going to see some of the opposite here coming after the bowl game, the guys leaving the program? I think Rutgers has done a really good job and proved that the guys that are leaving are leaving because they're seeking playing time and it's not a defection because they're unhappy with the program overall. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say false. I don't, I don't see a lot of guys defecting. Uh, so. False. Okay. Brian. I'll say false too, for the most part, I would be surprised if they don't lose at least one depth guy, just because of the way this thing kind of works. It would be really impressive if they went the entire stretch of this portal window without losing one guy. Um, but I don't think they're in any real danger of a mass exodus. Uh, I think one example of that is a guy like Kenny Fletcher, who I pointed to in a, one of our recent podcasts as like, he's losing some depth. Uh, sorry. He's losing some playing time opportunities with veteran guys like Aaron Lewis and Wesley Bailey coming back at edge rusher. Would he maybe go somewhere else for playing time? He ends up moving over to tight end and filling in at the position there. We don't know if that's a permanent, switch or just for the time being because of the lack of depth with Johnny Langan getting hurt. But my point in that is that this is a guy that could have left for more playing time. And instead he decides to stick with the team and change positions because he wants to be at Rutgers. I have a feeling there's a lot more Kenny Fletcher's than guys who uh, provide quality depth, but decide to play somewhere else. So false. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say true. I just think it's, it's natural. Now you're going to see some, some guys uh, go on their merry way. They got, they played the bowl game. They got the bowl swag. If you're going, if you're going down, in other words, if you're leading a program to go to a lower level, I think you can, this is when you're going to make the move. I don't know if there's going to be any impact players, but I think we're going to see some news at least in that direction. All right. A couple more uh, true or false. The Yankees really do put on a first class bowl experience. Pat, we were talking this as we were driving home. Do you buy the Yankees and their bowl, first class bowl uh line? I gotta uh I gotta take a pass on this one, unfortunately, because it was my first bowl game experience. So I'm not really exactly sure what I can stack it up against. <laughs> However, I will say from my perspective, I thought they were great, <laughs> you know, with all the activities and things. So I will give the pinstripe bowl a lot of credit. I thought uh, the kids were really into it. Brian? First class operation does not run out of beer in a stadium that is not entirely full. How do you run I don't out understand. Of beer? How do you run out of beer? It's yeah, it seems like the first thing you do. Be like a checklist of things. Okay. Do we have enough beer? Yes or no? If it, the question is maybe get more beer, right? I mean, there's there's a lot. Of, I just that just can't that just can't fathom that. I just don't understand. How do you run out of beer? Other than that, I thought things were fine. It looked like Billy's was absolutely packed with Rutgers fans in the pregame across the street. Mm -hmm. uh, from my understanding, uh, talking to a couple of people that were there, it was a really fun time, and uh, it seemed like Rutgers fans enjoyed themselves in the stands. So I don't know what first class means. I think they they did a good job. 
Yeah, I'm going to go false because of the beer thing. But I will say that it's the one bowl game where you're going to get 20,000 Rutgers fans that can come together and, and have, you know, the weather was okay. Uh, it's just hard to watch a football game there. I mean, you just can't. There's just no, is there, is there a single good seat in the entire place for football? I mean, it certainly wasn't the press box. Like, we're getting texts from fans. Uh, the referee, I can't really tell from out here. Is the refereeing bad? I'm like, I don't know. I can't tell from me. I can't tell from any here either. Um, it's just a tough play. It's a tough venue. Uh, baseball stadiums should should not host football games. But um, other than that, I guess you could say the players enjoyed it, and that's really what matters. All right, final. Well, I'm going to give two two more. This one's fun. True or false? Greg Shanna would do the mayo dump at the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I was watching this watching this the other day, thinking, would Greg Shanna do it? True or false? He would certainly do it. What do you think, Pat? Would he do it? Man. I could see him getting caught up in the moment and in, like just being blindsided by it, even though he knows it's coming. But deep down inside, I think Greg Shano has too much pride and is too, too much of like a macho guy to buy into the Mayo dump. So he will not, he would not do it. I think I, I'm going to say no. All right, Brian. So I think Mayo is maybe the most repulsive thing on earth. It is revolting to me so i would certainly be about two thousand feet away from whatever it happens i have two schools of thought here one no matter how much you don't want to do it i just don't think you can say no like you yeah. i just i think greg shiano is a fun enough guy a cool enough guy to pass point we get swept up in the moment that you just can't say no to that because you'd look like you have a giant dump in your diaper if you if you do that right like every coach does it and i'm sure none of them want to do it didn't mac brown do it or some coaches you think wouldn't do it did do it i think he would ultimately end up doing it or maybe he would petition for a switch. And I know it's the Duke Mayo's bowl, but how about a giant bowl of marinara sauce or something a little more palatable than the mayonnaise looked like paint when it fell on Neil Brown. It looked disgusting. Why do people enjoy this? Like what is the, 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 the visual of a guy getting mayo dumped all over his head and having to smell like mayo. And I don't understand the appeal personally, but I'm the guy that's no fun with all this bowl stuff. Yeah, it's a little weird. I'll I'll say that. And then you saw I me mean, the pop. You're missing the pop tart ball. That was legitimately hilarious. I mean, the pop the pop tarts w- holding up a sign as it gets dropped into the toaster, and then there <laughs> it comes out some other place. Like you're supposed to believe. Oh, look, here's the same pop tart coming out, and it's a, you can eat the mascot. I mean, that was really funny. Like I thought that was just outstanding. The pop tarts. Uh, I never has a bowl sponsor gotten more out of their bowl than you know, than the Pop-Tarts did for this thing. And that was incredible. That, I think they, Greg Shannon would eat the hell out of some Pop-Tarts. That much I know. Are you guys also disappointed that they didn't do anything with the bad boy mowers for this bowl? Yeah, I was. Like, a, you can't, like, maybe get, like, a little race down uh, down 161st Street or something in a couple, a lawnmower race. I was a little surprised they didn't they didn't do that. That's a great point. I was going to say put Greg Schiano and a couple of his players on the mowers and have them cut the grass on the outfield or something or or like a victory a, lap in a mower. Why not? Oh, can you imagine that? A victory lap around the Rutgers fans, everyone's popping off. They're holding the tractor and you hear the buzz. That's that's a great idea. And it's a missed just opportunity. Missed up, uh, totally. Yes, totally. If you're listening, bad boy mowers, I'm available for a small consulting fee. All right. Finally, don't get comfortable with NIL. It remains a massive problem. True or false? We saw we all read the story by Keith Sargent, the excellent five thousand word breakdown of NIL. You heard the narratives afterward, Pat. Uh, is it still a big problem? Yeah, whenever you're playing second fiddle to the teams you're competing with, it's a big deal, and that it was very evident that Rutgers is behind the eight ball and lagging in NIL. And I think uh, 
if you're if you're trying to compete with teams head to head, it's a, it's a massive problem. Uh, there's no denying that. So, yeah, true. Brian, true. I th want to address a few things that people keep bringing up. Sergeant's reporting was unbelievably thorough, but people keep banging their heads against the wall against two points that he apparently did not cover enough. Rutgers football brings back 10 senior starters. That's good. I ask you back. How many of those guys were guaranteed draft picks? Guys that you have no doubt would be picked and would be in the NFL. The answer is zero. Uh, how many of them would probably get some market in the transfer portal? Probably a few, but how much would they make above market of what Rutgers is paying. My point is that when you're weighing options, the loyalty of the program and wanting to complete what you started weighs in as much as NIL. The bigger point that people are ignoring, Rutgers is not in position to pursue quality upgrades at key positions. They are, have lost multiple players, defensive tackles, uh, to opposing Big Ten teams. Illinois took uh, the kid from Youngstown State that they thought they had a chance with. They have no hope, no hope of getting a quarterback upgrade. No hope. They can't even dream of offering a top to mid-tier quarterback in the portal because they don't have anywhere near enough money for that. They have they offensive tackle, offensive guard, premium positions. They have no hope of pursuing a kid with the money that they have. And the bigger point, again, a lot of people felt like the story was putting blame on Pat Hobbs, but there is blame to be had with Pat Hobbs. The coaches at Rutgers, Greg Schiano, Steve Peichel, a lot of the other coaches, are going out and doing the NIL work fundraising themselves. All well and good. Every coach in the country does that. Fair enough. But it's not an either-or thing. It's not the coaches could do it or the AD could do it. The AD could help, and the AD is not helping. He has met with, and I could say this because members of the Knights of the Raritan have said this publicly on the message boards, he has met with the Knights of the Raritan, the biggest collective, and pretty much the only active collective at Rutgers, one time in two years. One time in two years, the athletic director has met with the collective at his school. One time. He is not actively promoting it to the fan base. He is not helping them by giving them mailing lists and providing them opportunities to spread the message to fellow Rutgers fans. He is actively not helping the cause, which is the job of the athletic director, along with raising money for facilities, which he has and Sarge gave him credit for, along with all the other great things he has done, hiring good coaches and all that. Pat Hobbs is not doing enough with NIL. That was the big takeaway, and that is why Jason Belzer says that Rutgers is in the bottom 10% of Power 5 teams in NIL, and it's nice that you get a lot of good players back from a 6-6 six and six team. They've taken a big step, obviously. They can't take that next step unless they get even better players, and they really don't have a chance to get those better players in the current NIL situation they have. Yeah, you made you, you you certainly made the two key points that I when I when I repeat talking to people about this story, two things kept on coming up. The 10 player thing which you mentioned, absolutely. It's just it's just like a different, yeah, okay, you're right. They did keep them. But just because Greg Shannon is standing there with like 10 fingers and the whole holes of on the dam doesn't mean the dam's dirty. I guess that's the best way to look at it, right? I mean, it's just he he's he's really working some magic behind the scenes and it's become uh, more than half of his job now is raising money for NIL. I don't think that's the case in other places for for head for head football goods. Number one, and the second thing that I heard from a lot of people uh, in when this story posted, and it really I was surprised by it because I, I just I guess I just I just wasn't expecting this part of it was people who pointed out some of took some of Pat Hobbs's quotes from the story and sent them to me. People in the Rutgers universe who were like, "Wait, what did this guy say?" And it's the it's the stuff like we're not talking enough about the value of a scholarship. Well, we're this is the stuff that you would hear in 1997 when you were trying to de defend the 
you know, the current model of the, at the time of what NCAA sports were like, well, they get a full ride in a great education like that. We're done. We're, we're way beyond that. We have gone down the road where we're going to pay these players who, like they're going to be employees of the university. There's no longer the value of the scholarship is not a discussion. And in other places, it just sounded so out of touch. Uh, that was the one thing that I thought, Brian, you made the point about the head coaches having to do themselves. I think that was very evident. And this is the bigger thing. People ask me a lot, like, all right, well, what's different? What's different at Rutgers compared to Illinois or compared to another place? And I would say it very simply. If you read that story, there are like 17 different messages about NIL in there. Like it's, well, we need guidance on it. We need guardrails. We want people to donate where they're comfortable. We, you know, we we have a website. We have there's just like a million different things that the Rutgers says about NIL. The NIL message in other places is six words. It's we need your money for this, period. Like that's that's what you're getting other like people when people ask you, like Illinois, another place and try to go other places. That's it. The message is very clear that this is this is the priority. Uh, and it's just not the case of Rutgers. And I think that's a big, you know, I think it's a big a big failure, to be honest. And I, I get it. Rutgers is a different place. It's not Penn State, it's not Ohio State. But if you're looking to me, the takeaway from that story for me was that. It's like, all right, well, you've got a bunch of people, well-meaning people trying to solve this problem, but they're all pulling in, they're all pulling in different directions. And it's not getting solved, I guess is I guess is the best way to put it. It follows the ethos of the school. We asked President Jonathan Holloway about his involvement in NIL yesterday. And his answer essentially was that Rutgers follows the rules. Rutgers wants to follow the guidelines and do those things the quote unquote right way, which is honorable in many arenas. But when no one else is following the rules, the alleged rules, right? Apparently everyone else is cheating. No one is getting punished for this. Well, so are they cheating? We love her. Are they cheating? Or are they just do are they just there's just no there's no guidance and they're just doing what they're just going out and doing it? I don't know. I mean, well that's that's that's, that's my point. Like if no if no one's getting punished for anything, any alleged transgressions, then there are no rules. And if there are no rules, you should follow the pack because if not, you won't be competitive. Uh, Indiana, I know people try to say, we're not Ohio State, we're not Penn State, we're not Michigan. Fair enough. Indiana, upon hiring Kurt Signetti, had $3 million in NIL promised as soon as he sat down on his desk. And they're getting kids in the portal, upgrading their roster. Indiana. 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 They had $3 million. More than Rutgers has gotten in the past year with an established football coach. They got with a new guy as soon as he was hired. Indiana. (laughs) Yeah, It's, it's, it's really glaring. Yeah. I thought Sarge did a great job with the story again, uh, and it's 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 a, it's a big deal. And the other point, so we had to, just to drive it home. The Pinstripe Bull press conference had Jonathan Highway on a dais. Um, we it was just kind of an opportunity to ask him these questions. Brian, you asked about NIL. I thought his answer was kind of a little bit all over the place. I tried to ask him about the Charlie Baker letter, the idea that we're going to divide the the, the top of the top in at college sports where programs are going to start having a $30 million war chest to essentially pay players that's coming down the road. I was curious what Jonathan Hollywood would say about that. Short answer, he wasn't going to say anything about it. He gave a very long-winded answer about the place of college athletics in the context and the investment Rutgers has made in it. And it was a good, I mean, it was a thoughtful answer, but he clearly he's not going to say we're in on this without knowing what this is, which I thought was interesting, but that's coming down the road too. And that's going to be, that's not a Pat Hobbs decision. That might not be a Jonathan Holloway decision. That's going to be board of governors, you know, state of New Jersey, massive decision about whether or not Rutgers is going to be part of this. And at this point, I don't know how they can't be. The helix is coming. That's right. Ground is broken, foundations are being laid, and the plans are being realized. 
For those that have not yet heard, the Helix is a new innovation district in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Smack dab in the middle of the Northeast Corridor, the Helix is a place for innovators to gather and innovation to take action. It offers a range of physical environments, a vibrant innovation community, and a strategic central location in close proximity to New York, Philly, Boston, and D.C. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others are already signing up to call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is coming. Visit helixnj.com to learn more. All right, let's dive into some questions from our Rutgers insiders. We had a bunch of them, obviously, a lot of comments. People, I think, were really excited uh, on in our service, at least, are kind of uh, uh, soaking up the moment. Uh, this one was popular. When does the Kyle Manungai Heisman campaign begin? And I'm, I'm, it, you might have been, you might have meant it as a joke. Whoever sent this comment in, I wouldn't be surprised if that is a thing. I mean, they, Rutgers has a history of doing it. They did it in 2006 before the season for the wrong running back, but for Brian Leonard at the time, and had a billboard out uh, in Times Square as a good way of, you know, selling a player. It was just as Greg Shano you know, thinking ahead of, of, of things and trying to get uh, attention for the program in a different way. Obviously, you wonder what would happen if they made Ray Rice the Heisman guy. But um, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we're, if we're talking about that, right? I mean, why not? I believe he did get a Heisman vote if we're uh, going going back through the official standings. What do you, do you have any insight on that, Steve? I do have some insight about that. He did get at least one third place vote. I was getting crap about it on Twitter, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stand for that. You got so, crap on it. You about it from me sitting next to you when you told me. That's right. I did get. That's right. I forgot about that too. Yeah, you were. You were giving me throwing me shade. I can do whatever I want with my ballot. You threatened to take my ballot away. No, this is all coming back to me now. Gosh, don't, don't get mad all over again. The Kyle Manungai Heisman campaign from from Rutgers can begin whenever. When he'll be taken seriously as a Heisman candidate, I'm not sure that will ever happen unless Rutgers gets off to a huge start. 6-0, and 7-0, and and he plays as big a part as this year. Yeah. It's hard to win the Heisman as a running back. Great Rice almost did it in 06. Rutgers is going to have to have another, you know, an 06-esque season for him to have a chance. Entirely different era of college football, the way that quarterbacks are so productive now, it's it's almost impossible. Like, right. even, yeah. even just going back to Ray Rice, it's just every single person votes for whoever, whichever quarterback has the most, the highest stats. Yeah. And I it's give you be. that for your vote, Steve. I think that was very noble. It's going to be the SEC quarterback that that comes out, of, yeah, that leads this team to the playoff, as always. But that's okay; we can still vote wherever we want here in New Jersey. All right, this is a good point. Was December the perfect month for Greg Shano? New contract, incredible recruiting class, barely lost anyone to the portal, bowl victory. That's a, that's a great point, and it's funny because like I always think of like Greg Shano has had. Uh, he's he's better at his job in the offseason than during the season. I, I think that's kind of evened out a little bit. And Greg Shano 2.0 is a better game coach than Greg Shano 1.0 was, in my in my opinion. Uh, but still, yeah, he I mean, the stuff that happens off the field is his area, uh, really, or when he's very good at what he does. And you have to, you have to acknowledge that December has been a good month. About as good as they could have hoped for. Perfect is a bit much. Perfect would have been getting a quarterback, a tight end, a defensive tackle, an offensive lineman out of the portal. 
but yeah. every other area, retention, coaching staff retention, uh, his own personal retention, I think that was all very positive. All right. Uh, Paul Jaffe in Bend, Oregon. Big and Bend, man. Uh, Paul Manunga was absolutely spectacular, making not just ordinary gains, but big gains out of nothing. With him coming back next year, do you see Sam Brown leaving? He deserves to play. Great question, Pat. I mean, I think, you know, the plan is that Sam Brown's going to, I think, he looked like Sam Brown last year. He's going to run the ball a lot more. Yeah. And I think that's a way you preserve Kyle Manungai at the same time and keep his draft stock and NFL career in a really good place because you don't want to overwork this guy, but you know that a two system run, uh, a two running back system is, is very doable at Rutgers and Sam Brown had a nice game despite the fumble. And Greg Shano even said as much in his, in his press conference afterwards that Sam Brown is definitely going to carve out a role next year. I don't, I don't foresee Sam Brown going anywhere. He likes, apparently he likes college. Who knew, right? This like college football player who who enjoys, enjoys going to class. So this is, this is, I know it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine in 2023, but we've, we found one. So yeah, good for Sam. I hope he does stay because he's fun to watch when he, when he, and he does look, finally look like he's healthy. And that's a, that's a big difference then early this season. Uh, all right, let's see some more um, referees. Questions, a lot of questions about referees. The refs were terrible. Thoughts? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think the refs. This wasn't the, this wasn't the Rose Bowl crew, right? I mean, the best way to put it, that, that the one thing that really threw me was when there was a flag for a clear holding that they picked up. But when you looked at the replay, I mean, it, it was just yeah. So that to me, I didn't understand. You guys, were you thought the refs were any worse than usual? I thought it was a pretty typical game, but the thing that really drove me nuts was that every single play went to video review and it was just oh, ongoing, yeah. an ongoing. And I was just thinking to myself, like, God, how many times are we going to go through a video review on a play that was pretty obvious in the moment? Like, I would love to go back and count the number of uh, replays there were. It's crazy. Yeah, it did make the game go a lot longer. Absolutely. Yeah, it got a little tiring. All right, some more offensive line praise. We've got a couple of comments on Pat Flaherty, who, I mean, he just can't say enough about what he's done. Um, is that the big? Is that the biggest position group improvement on this team? Was one question, and someone else pointed out. Give a shout out to the wide receivers for their blocking today. Um, interesting point. Good point. Yeah, I mean, and, and to the point, I guess the tight end, Deshaun Bowman, got a shout out in the press conference. Overall, a good day for the fundamental of blocking. Yeah, and it's been one of their strengths all season. Uh, Pat Flaherty has developed a lot of these guys that uh, maybe some of us roll off, right? Like Brian Felter, a guy who we thought was you know a backup guy who wouldn't really get much snaps, turns into their perennial left guard and is their starting left guard going to next season. A guy like Reggie Sutton, who's obviously an awesome story. I uh, wrote about it yesterday. Bad timing on my part. Should have gotten it out early, but anyway, that's besides the point. Guy who comes back from a devastating knee injury. People aren't sure he's going to play again, and now he's the starting right tackle for the last seven games and held up pretty well yesterday, I mm-hmm. thought, right? No penalties, no sack given up that I can remember, and Pat Flaherty helped him become a serviceable guy at right tackle in the Big Ten. Uh, guys like Gus Zelinskis, who developed into a solid center, Um so, yeah, like not only did he develop these guys, but he helped them sort out the position at offensive line where the only guy entering the season that we knew for sure was a stud was uh, Holland Pierce at left tackle, another big guy that's returning for next season. Other than that, everything else was kind of in the air, and Pat Flaherty did a great job developing guys, piecing the puzzle together, and I think it's inarguable that that's the position group that's made the biggest jump from last year to this year, and I think if Rutgers gets a similar bump at wide receiver and tight end next year, 
I think that that would be a huge j- jump in the right direction for them. How different is the line going to be next year? Holland's back. Holland's Ryan back. Felter's back. Gus Salinskis is back. Right tackle is interesting because Tyler Needham, that was their starting right tackle to start the season. He had a season-ending injury. Um, he is probably the favorite to return at right tackle. And right guard, they're going to have to find a replacement for Curtis Dunlap. That's probably where they're going to go in the portal for at least one guy on the right side. I think Tyler Needham, he's unproven, right? He played in two games before he got hurt. But like I said, he's probably the favorite if you don't find a right tackle, which are expensive in the portal. Not to keep hammering that point. I think he's probably the favorite to start right tackle. You got a right guard in the in the portal that maybe has some position flexibility that can move to tackle to right guard. And uh, maybe a guy like Kobe Asamoah, guys like Dante Chin, Dominic Rivera, these young guys who uh, are developing, maybe they can reach a level where they can become contributors and maybe even earn a position in those spots. Yeah, I was just going yeah. to add those those young guys because we, like Brian just said, we were so certain that the offensive line was going to look one way coming into the season and then Flaherty and Shiano kind of shook everything up and and they were rotating for half the season until they found the right recipe and then stuck with that. So I think it'll be a little bit of that next year too, even though, even though there are all those returning starters, I think Rutgers is in a position where they may rotate some guys and give some of those young guys developmental snaps early on in those non-conference games. And it could be a, another really interesting year for the line. We get this question every week, and so I'm going to we'll, we'll try to answer it here about Jacob Allen. One of those young guys came in as the number one recruit in New Jersey a, a couple of years ago, um, the highest OL recruit since Anthony Davis. Now we don't hear his name. Is he still on the team, um, fellas? I, I think we should. We have kind of figured out that people should not expect to see him playing, right? So he had a pretty bad knee injury at the end of his senior year on an extra point, just a really dumb and unfortunate situation and that's taken some time for him to come back he's had to have multiple surgeries he has a massive scar in his knee that's very visible and he's still working his way back i thought i think there was some hope at the start of the year that he could recover in time to have a chance at the end of this year obviously that didn't happen i wouldn't rule out the possibility of him playing at Rutgers at some point but i do think that there's a chance he doesn't uh i do think that it's hard to imagine he'll be as effective as his recruiting ranking I think the four-star ranking, you know, two years and two surgeries ago. So maybe it's not fair to hold him to that high of a standard. And anything you get out of Jacob Allen at this point, I would say, is uh, pretty much a bonus. All right, random question about Trevor Yaboa. Cody, is he going to play on the lacrosse team? I don't think he is, right? He's lacrosse, his lacrosse eligibility is over. That's right, yeah. He played four okay. years at Brown, so that right. would that's I thought his eligibility. He had, he had one year of eligibility for a, a sport because the Ivy League canceled that year, I think. So he could probably right. do sport. Yeah. Sorry. No lacrosse out. That'd be a pretty cool story if you did do both, though. That'd be a, that'd be great. All right. I think that's so we covered just about most of the questions. Thanks for sending them in. As always, we appreciate it. All right. What else? We got some hoops. Uh Mississippi State loss. Brian, not a good loss. Kind of gives you that, that NIT feeling, doesn't it? NIT might be the ceiling for this team pretty clearly. Uh they're gonna have to have a big run in the Big Ten, probably win. 12 of their last 19 games in the conference to have a chance, which the way they've played is not very likely. They struggled to shoot from three. Uh, they struggled inside. Cliff Omori had maybe his worst game as a Scarlet Knight. I think the little optimism that grew from the Seton Hall win is kind of gone, and the reality has set in that this is not an NCAA tournament team. They don't have enough offensive firepower. They're not good enough defensively as they have been under Steve Peichel. They really struggle to rebound the basketball. Look, this is a transition year. Fans are going to have to kind of Deal with the next two, three months, grit their teeth, and wait for 
the next season, which is supposed to be promising. And I guess the fun part of it would be looking at the young guys on this team and trying to puzzle how they'll fit into next year's team. What's Jermichael Davis's role going to be? Is Wolfolk going to be ready to take that jump at center? Is Moat Mag going to come back? Is, you know, like what, what all the rest of the next three months mean for next year? Because I think this year is kind of, you know, they'll play hard. Steve Peichel will try to salvage the season. He'll keep saying they have a chance. Journey of the season, a lot of games left, on and on. I think the reality for any objective observer is that this team is just not an NCAA tournament team. If you make the NIT, I think that would be a, a pretty big win. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I will say the one thing that gives you a little bit of hope is it's just there's not, there's not the Big Ten's not the Big Ten. And I get it, that's also going to hurt their NCAA resume, but at least that gives you some feeling that maybe they win more games than you would have expected. I guess that's the one, that's the one thing I'd say, Pat, it might not be a situation where it's going to get you to the NCAAs, but at least it'll make, you know, January, February, March more interesting. Yeah, I agree. And, and Rutgers has always been this grinded out team anyway, that's going to scrap and fight. And I think that's the heart of big 10 basketball. That's the style we know. So yeah, I just think uh, it'll, it'll be entertaining and it'll keep you engaged, which is ultimately what you want from sports. This is the back. end of the year show for us, the, our final show for 2023. And Brian, you had a good idea for this show. Yeah, so uh, we did this last year and I think it's a good idea just to kind of look ahead to next year. I asked my co-hosts to think about one thing they're excited about, one thing they're looking forward to in Rutgers Athletics for 2024. So I'll go last because I've thought about this for a while now. I sprung this upon you guys five minutes before we started recording. Uh, so in the past hour, guys, what have you thought of? Whoever wants to go first can go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'll take it. I, I think 2024 could be, in a lot of ways, the most interesting and compelling year for Rutgers sports in a long time. I mean, I, I really believe that. And, um, of course, the obvious answer is looking forward to seeing Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey and that recruiting class on the court. But, you know, we just saw the football team is prepared to take another step, too. So for, for the two big teams at the same time in their history to be heading into a season with both high expectations and just a high level of hope and interest, too. I mean, this could be the year where Rutgers has a NCAA tournament basketball team that's getting, you know, a chance in the Big Ten and a football team that that's playing for, you know, for a spot in a, in a good bowl game. So, I mean, I think this, I think 2024 sets up to be a really interesting year for Rutgers. And I'm, for, for me, I'm just interested to see how that all plays out. If, if it does uh, live up to those expectations. Pat? Let's see, uh, you know, Steve's the big picture guy. He always comes in with these great answers. Uh, of course, uh, everything Steve just said is, is so uh, at the focal point and the keystone of what Rutgers athletics is going to be in 2024 can't not be excited about the two marquee programs and where they're at a hundred percent agree. So I'm going to take this uh, at, the, at the micro level and give you something I'm personally looking forward to. And that's our trip to St. Louis, Missouri to see the NCA wrestling championships and see if Rutgers can finally can get back on track and crown and crown an NCA all American after it's snap it, after it's run of nine straight years got snapped last year. I think this is really shaping up to be a really nice year for Rutgers wrestling. Uh, it's about to get really busy and, and heated up starting with the Midlands tournament coming up right now. And I think Rutgers has a guy who's ranked number two in the country right now at 125 pounds, Dean Peterson, Came up one match short last year, and I think he's going to be right on the precipice. And then you got some really, really good guys on the back end of the lineup. So 
I, I'm really looking forward to that trip in March and at least one big NCAA tournament experience for Rutgers this year. Nice. Looking forward to St. Louis. That's 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 great. I have a few that I'll run through before I get to mine. Um, there's will Rutgers Olympic sports get back off the schneid and get back into having good seasons. Will any of them compete for a Big Ten title after a couple, you know, about eighteen down months? Um, you know, will will men's lacrosse uh, battle for a Big Ten title? Will men's or women's soccer do so? Will Rutgers climb out of the rough year they had in the Directors Cup and make a jump there? Um, I'm looking forward to the first home game at the rack. Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey being announced in the starting lineup and just the feeling of the 8,000 people there, the anticipation that's been there for months, just the feeling in that building. I think it will be absolutely electric. The first alley-oop Dylan Harper throws to Ace Bailey might throw the roof off the place. I'm just so excited to be in the building for that, to experience that. I'm most interested to see how the Rutgers quarterback position shakes out. No matter what happens, if Gavin Wimsett is the starter in the first game of the year, if Ethan Kalik Manis ends up here and wins the job, uh, who are the top, top two quarterbacks in training camp? Like just how that entire situation shakes out and Rucker stands in that position entering the 2024 season. I think it's the biggest question mark of anything in Rutgers athletics. I think it will be a very important factor that will determine the trajectory of the season. And I think it's a fun little treat for us to actually have Another quarterback competition, fellas. I don't think we ever get sick of that. And I'm looking forward to uh, covering that in the spring, maybe leading into training camp and mm-hmm. uh, throughout the fall, because we sure know that if Ethan Kalikmanis and Gavin Wimsett are both on the roster and we're in week three and one of them throws an interception, Steve Politi will throw the hashtag free somebody to beg for the backup quarterback to get on the field. Uh, ah, something to look forward to, truly. And how about this? We haven't mentioned this, but next year is going to be a really nice year for Rutgers travel. Like, we're going to travel to a lot of basketball games next year. We're going to go to L.A., the L.A. Coliseum to see the Southern Cal Rutgers. That's that's cool. I mean, I know I, it's great. I, we've done, now that we've, I know if I vowed, I would never go back to State College. And, you know, we've done, we've done the Big Ten traditional trips. We've seen a lot of those stadiums, kind of Ann Arbor and Columbus to death. So now we get something new. I mean, that's going to be a fun part of this year. I think a lot of fans are going to make those trips too. I would, I would assume. Can't not go to LA for sure. Yeah, uh, Halloween weekend in uh, in Los Angeles it's going to be fantastic. Come on, this is as good as it gets. In and Out Burger. In and Out Burger. Hopefully, a new basketball. Boomer Zoomer <laughs> alumni from California colleges. <laughs> Have we decided if we're keeping that? I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. We got time. We got time to figure that out. Somebody asked us to give Boomer Zoomer a, um, what was it, like a peaceful death? Just kind of let it go away in, into the distance. And I've yeah, been thinking Vikings about the comment. Funeral, a Viking's funeral. Fire Viking's a flaming funeral. arrow at it. Might have to do that. So uh, Probably. Uh, probably. Uh, all right. A lot to look forward to in 2024. We'll be here to, to talk about it. Uh, anything else, fellas, before we sign off? Thank you, everyone, for listening. Keep listening, please. As the excitement around Rutgers Athletics increases in 2024, so will our excitement to cover all of it, and hopefully our coverage will rise to the occasion. So thanks for listening and reading, and uh, please keep doing so. Well said, sir. Good way to end this one. We'll be back next year to talk some basketball, I'm sure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com slash insider.